So, hello. Uh, hey, River. Uh, today, you are five years and three days old. Um, and your birthday was just the uh, three days ago. So, um, whenever you're listening to this in the future, happy late birthday. And I'm sorry I missed it yet again. Um, but, you know, pandemic and life and stuff. So, um, this particular conversation, we haven't done an episode in a while. Um, and we're, sit- we're here with Ben. Um, District Attorney Ben from the morality episode, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, tech censorship. You want to say hello? Hey, how's it going? Um, So, yeah, um, I'm sure it's going to kind of like go all over the place, but like, I'm I'm glad. um, Thank you for sitting down and talking to me. We have like, you know, um, I don't want to say butted heads, but we've had uh, talks about this topic um you know for a while now we've had a you know a little facebook conversations back and forth and as you know recently twitter and and then every other fucking platform um basically deep flat platform trump and mm-hmm. i think it's a i feel like you have a better legal perspective and just a, you have a perspective that i want to talk about on this because it, it's slightly different than mine and i find this um personally uh you know, in the specific instance after the Capitol uh, riot or siege mm-hmm. insurrection, I feel like it was an apt punishment because mm-hmm. what the fuck else was going to happen if he was on there? But it is also an incredibly dangerous precedent to set. Um, and, you know, because uh, like, who's to say now, you know, as you know, and uh, with legal stuff, as soon as the precedent set, then they can use that down the road. It gets easier and easier and easier. And it is scary. Oh, wait, I want to I want to just pause you right there for a second. Mm-hmm. Nothing like, that they did could be considered illegal in any respect. Correct. And I'm glad you I'm, I appreciate that because that I mean, I, even in the discussions I have with people that I yell at them for mixing the two. Yeah. So it's it's not um, uh, I use precedent in the in this terms of just, uh, you know, um, can you explain to me just uh, from your side, what is a legal precedent? Oh, so I mean, a legal precedent is typically um, either a judicial or legislative action that um, is taken to affect the law in a permanent way. So when it comes to uh, what we call jurisprudence, which is um, another name for judge-made law, it's when a judge offers a particular interpretation of laws ruled on in a set of circumstances that will guide further action. So if you have a unique set of circumstances, and this happens quite often in cases brought to court, um, that's why they're at court, um, a judge will make a decision that it's not exactly clear what's going to happen based on the words on the page and how the judge decides to rule will then act as guidance for judges in the future. When it comes to a legislative precedent, that actually comes down to a bit more complicated of a discussion. And that's when, or at least it can be when, um, Congress decides to use their authority or um, perhaps even the executive uses their authority in a way where it's unclear how the Constitution binds or allows their power, right? So there are questions about exactly what kinds of actions 
uh, are left to the executive or are left to Congress. And oftentimes, um, we don't really have a clear guide as to what is constitutionally belonging to one or the other. And these cases are a bit more rare and a bit more nuanced, but I just wanted to lay out how Mm -hmm. you could talk about how legal precedents work. Okay, thank you. Um, And so back to what I was sort of saying before is, in this particular instance, um, I feel that it was something that needed to be done um, after the insurrection. Um, I think any time before that is, uh, you know, that is, you know, even if I were to go back in time, I'd say that, you know, um, you know, although we probably, or at least hypothetically might have avoided the the whole situation um, if it had been done sooner. But I feel like that is muddy water of corporations just like getting rid of, you know, like with Alex Jones, they just got rid of him. Um, and, and, you know, um, I don't even remember the full facts of that. But like, if they did that beforehand, I feel like especially to a president that it's like, absurd. And how do you feel about like, what are your broad opinions on on what happened uh in in the sense of like you know uh the uh twitter and then like even the deeper thing of amazon getting rid of uh all these websites like how do you feel about the government um and again uh i i i fucked up there not the government how do you feel about corporations um do wielding this power that they have the my first answer is I don't know. Mm-hmm. My second answer is I don't really know. Um, <laughs> well, like just your not even. I mean, I, I'll expand. I'll expand on what's confusing. I'm not okay. going to just let that. Yeah. Um, I under I understand how conversations work. I have to do some of it. Um, right. So. It's really, really complicated, right? So mm-hmm. I I tend to rely on the instincts of people who pay closer attention to these things than I do. And mm-hmm. to be completely honest, I haven't been quite as tuned in to the state of affairs as many of the people I follow on these topics. Um, one of the people I find to be a very sensible person and have views and values very similar to my own Mm -hmm. um, stated in a tweet that they thought that the the ban on Trump, the temporary ban on Trump that was going to last 10 days and take us through the inauguration was reasonable Mm -hmm. and that the permanent ban was not justified. Um... And that strikes me as probably a fair balance mm-hmm. because the real danger that was posed by Trump was the risk to a peaceful transition of power, mm-hmm. which is kind of a cornerstone of our electoral process. And the threat that Trump presented. Uh, to that peaceful transition would likely be over once, I mean, 
the commander in chief was no longer Trump, right? <laughs> uh-huh. I and mean, there's not much you can do to the commander of the armed forces once they're the commander of the armed forces. Uh, when they're the United States, hopefully, I guess that's I hopefully that's still true when you're hearing this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, yeah. <laughs> but no, that, that that was that was more of a joke. I I I I tend to have fewer fears about the rapid disintegration of of our republic. Um, the my other reaction is that. One could make the argument that the the permanent ban is warranted because Trump is the kind of person who would be unlikely to be quiet once he left office mm-hmm. and that there was a risk of potential future harm. Okay. But I think that goes beyond the scope of protecting the peaceful transition of power. Um, and so if Twitter chose to do that, they wouldn't necessarily be reflecting my values. Mm-hmm. Not that they're under any obligation to do so. Mm-hmm. And I want to be explicit in saying that I don't think... When, when I critique Twitter and what I think they should or shouldn't do, it's not because I think that I'm owed anything. Mm-hmm. Uh by a public platform, but what I would hope for Twitter to be, and which it turns out it's probably not going to be, is to be a kind of um, public square, right? A, a, a real free speech zone. And a lot of dangerous ideas get peddled in free speech zones. A lot of really pernicious beliefs. Mm. And one of the things that we're coming to grips with is that the way in which the internet connects us allows that public square to reach more people than ever. Um, And still, I think the value of an open discourse with those dangerous ideas exceeds the value of gatekeeping ideas. I think there's a certain... I actually don't think there's anything deeper than that when it comes to how I feel about um, internet censorship. uh, Well, not censorship, but yeah, uh, private companies um, choosing to uh, police speech on their platforms. Now... At the same time, I'm also curious to see if the effects that this will have will actually create greater competition. Uh Um, So many of the people who were kicked off of uh, these platforms and social media institutions ended up seeking alternatives. And some of the groups that um, were pushing Twitter to make these changes to begin with are now going after those uh, companies, those secondary companies that are less known. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's the prospect that we'll actually gain competitors um, in the digital marketplace because of these companies' willingness to 
moderate this content in this way. Mm-hmm. And that that's actually a possible upside because it's very hard to see um, the innovation and competition and benefits that this will derive. Now, that said, um, for me, the concerning aspect, regardless of that, uh, those potential benefits, is that we have people who think that policing bad actor speech is going to be one an effective way of curbing ideas that are pernicious it might be an effective way of curbing behaviors of like someone being whipped up into a frenzy and like the conspiracy theorists all gathering together on a certain day and coordinating Mm -hmm. sure in some instances where like you have a very like a singular leader like you know a donald trump figure who's got a very large fan base and um, has been peddling conspiracy for many, many months. Sure, but that's not like a very common occurrence. Um, what I see instead are when you go after Parler or um, or even Alex Jones, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm not sure that you're going to be able to one, control them, but I'm not also, I'm also not sure that it's a good idea to try to simply push them out of the discussion. I think there's there's something to be said about the idea of like more speech over over censorship, right? You know, yeah. The solution to to bad speech is more speech is a, yeah, is a common discourse. phrase you might hear. Yeah. Um but I'm curious to see if it, if it gets to the level of what Stormfront faced. So do you know what Stormfront was? Uh, well, um, I, I know the name, but I don't know. I, as far as I, when you say that, it was a, a website, uh, like a, a right-wing website for journalism, quote-unquote. Yeah, it was like a neo-Nazi publication. Yeah, and then didn't they get deplatformed, and they ended up making their own like uh, uh, s- server for? Did uh, they? Uh, uh, you tell me what, because I, I I do know the name, but I don't know the details. Well, so initially they were um, kicked off of one of their hosting services, but um, I don't know if they ever found another one. That's the level of control that I guess I'm worried about um, is influence being had over our internet service providers right the the people yeah. who are like the like the backbones yeah of the internet like the the very very deepest level of what allows electronic communication to happen mm-hmm. the amazon um, comcast at&t you're mean yeah right um i am I'm not weeping for the loss of a bunch of uh, uh, of neo Nazis, um, yeah. and it's fair to say I think that if there's enough support for um, an idea or movement, you can actually just start um, 
start your own thing, right? Work from the ground up, build your own servers, right? Yeah, it's not that hard. It just costs money. It, yeah, of course it costs money, right? Um, and that's not to say that the only form of speech is on the internet. Yeah. So that that's something that should quell some of my fears, but I would be unhappy if every internet service provider or host was pressured out of um, hosting Parler. Um, because Not because Parler would be unable to speak, but because it shows that the American public, or at least uh, an active vocal portion of the American public, is... influential enough mm. to cut out many of the avenues of speech of their political opponents. Mm. And I could see that being used as a cudgel in the future um, to silence dissenting voices. Yes. I, and that, from and from people who are less outside the Overton window than let's say Stormfront or even like your Q, your average QAnon supporter, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now it's it's hard for many people to see the way uh, culture has been progressing, the culture wars have been going, that this could ever come back and hurt them. But of course, we know that's true. If you look at Poland. Poland was not a bastion of right-wing populism, um, you know, a decade and a half ago. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what it is now. Countries take turns. Mm -hmm. And so part of me wants to appeal to the self-interest of those who might be pro-censorship and say that maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe keeping the president off Twitter for some amount of time is a good idea, but maybe we don't go after everyone who believes things like him because one, mm. that's a lot of people. And two, that's a, that might be a dangerous precedent to set. Yeah. In terms of, uh, not legal precedent, but in terms of, um, yeah, societal, what precedent. companies are likely to do. Right. Yeah. So that's where, like, I don't agree. Like the part of me, I'm torn over this because it's like I, did, I I'm so glad because like the day that they got him off Twitter was like a sigh of relief on my soul of like thank fuck, like this isn't going to rule our lives because it very much so did in you know what he said was immediately fed out to the world and things happened because of it so it was like a sigh of relief but also the thing that scares me just in my own life like because recently i've had to like unfriend or mute people that i'm friends with on facebook because i just got tired i you know i'm just burnt out on i'm sure as everybody is on this discussion and the the fear and the the moral qualm in my soul is like you know i have a good friend in recovery who who has very different beliefs i don't agree with and i had to mute it because i didn't want to hear it anymore because i i was strung out but then what happens is i'm in a echo chamber of only the people i hear 
and I agree with, and that is fucking dangerous. Uh, and then I put the shoe on the other foot of like, I followed these, uh, when Trump got cut off of Twitter, I went to parlor and I, I've had an account with them for a while. Cause I have to look at all these social media things. And I went on there and it boomed in the, you know, it was just an echo chamber of hate, you know, from what I was seeing. And then they get cut off and they uh, are now on Gab and I'm on Gab and it's like the craziest shit that I've, I mean, it's not even reality anymore, how deep this has gotten. And now you have these people just like cycling, uh, you know, the same ideas rather than being challenged and having somebody else coming in because the normal person, you know, you say the average Q person, I, uh, you know, that has become uh, our parents. I'm not saying ours in particular, but like, you know, it's happening. I have friends whose parents have gone down the Q path and like now then they hop on Gab and they're just like, well, I don't trust the government. I don't like them. They go on Gab because they want to continue having the conversation. You just get deeper because you don't have somebody challenging because there really isn't much challenging on Gab. It's just, uh, I mean, I, w I was in, I still am in several Q groups and it's just getting like worse from what I'm seeing. And that's what scares the shit out of me. Like, you know, now, and like what you were saying before, like now we don't have a public forum for the challenging of ideas. And that's very much the American way is I don't agree with you. Let's have a talk about it. Um, so it is like, that's what uh, scares the shit out of me. Cause like, I also then um, the, the last couple of days I've been worried about violence locally because I'm seeing these Trump people locally get, um, you know, uh, since the Capitol, like I'm starting to see some stuff that worries me. And so like I went on, I've been on all these sites looking at what the local people are saying and like, you know, tensions are fucking high. And then that led me to the eight coon, which is, was formerly, uh, or is the birth of, of 4chan dying. And like, you know, realities sort of is completely fractured in there where you made the joke in the beginning, but it's very fucking true where they think that, you know, and of course there's trolls in this situation, but they think that Trump had a face swap surgery. And like, these are people who are like, you know, showing the quote unquote facts. And it's like, fuck, man, this is now in the dark reaches of the internet where it's just going to get worse. It's not going to have, you know, there's not many Q people in there saying, no, 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 you know, it, it, you, there's just not, I didn't see any of that. There was no um, challenging of the core crazy idea. It was just, no, this is why that crazy idea is, uh, you know, here's my evidence of this crazy idea. And that scares the shit out of me, which, how do you, I think me and you, uh, I mean, I've had this discussion with a bunch of friends, so I'm sure I might be melding some of them together, but how do you feel about um, recently there, not just recently, the past couple of years, there's been a push for government to regulate these sites. And that bothers me so much. Um, and I think- Could it, we could we table that question and, and just come back, circle back to it in a second? Yeah, 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 please. I just wanted to respond to something you said. So you talked about how on Gab you have these uh, these alternate echo chambers of people who just believe really, really crazy things. Um, what's interesting, it might be a consequence of something I said earlier, that um, you know the Overton window, the people who are kicked off of uh, their platforms for expressing their ideas might be a, a greater or growing portion of the population. 
um, the actual balance of those people to the super extreme people might actually change over time. Right? You might see more people going to a gab um, when mm, okay. they're just, they're too edgy for Twitter, right? Mm, mm-hmm. um, and people, you know, who you might not necessarily disagree or agree with getting kicked off of Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. And so it might be something where we're just seeing um, monopolies themselves starting to shoot themselves in a foot in the foot now um does that mean that they're not going to be the largest market share of course not Mm -hmm. but what it does mean is that maybe those relatively uniform echo chambers might themselves see change over time um and i think that's uh, that actually might be encouraging um but before we, we go to the the policy discussion um, I want to ask you, what do you know about Megan Phelps Roper? I know that. Or not name Megan I Phelps have... Roper. Yeah, Megan Phelps Roper. Um, wasn't she the former member of the that hate church? I forget the name of them, right? Yeah, she was she was a, a member of the Westboro Baptist Church. That's the name. Yeah. And in her discussion, she has a TED talk where she talks about yeah. it, and she has a Joe Rogan experience episode where she goes into long detail. Um she talks about what it was that helped pull her out of her beliefs that we would consider extreme. And it was persistent, kind criticism on Twitter. It was, it was, it was specifically, it was a, she cites a, a Jewish man who was very familiar with the Bible um, and began pointing out contradictions in her beliefs and ways in which the more ha- hateful aspects of the rhetoric of the church um, were questionable. Mm. And in a way, this is what you might think of as what we call you know, deprogramming yeah. uh, when you talk about cults, right? Um, the more opportunities for that to happen, mm. I think the better the better chance we have of convincing people with these ideas. Um, to at least reconsider their confidence in them. And I think there's probably a portion of people who consider themselves not very open to change that are. And I think there's, of the people who aren't, I think there might be underlying, and this is, this is going to be where I go completely beyond my expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm completely, kind of, frankly speaking, out of my ass. But there might be underlying issues there, like psychological issues, right? Yeah. Paranoia. Yeah. Um, like, and when I see people talking about how these right-wing crazies need to be put in jail. And of course, people who are violent need to be put in jail. I'm never going to 
disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But when they talk about how these people with these crazy beliefs need to be rounded up or put in jail and prosecuted, or you know, the, the idea that we can, you know, find excuses to lock them all up or put them away, um, keep them away from society. I think I understand the instinct. It's it's you want to defend this great thing that we have you don't want to let let it slip away because of the actions or beliefs of crazy people and you certainly don't yeah. want to let that madness um grow but i i think it lacks a certain compassion for the people who do have these really really crazy ideas and i think i'm uniquely situated to at least grasp the importance of that compassion. Um, because I had, uh, in the course of my political evolution, I, I believed one thing very strongly for a long time, and then over the course of time, my ideas changed. And now it's, it's more difficult for me to paint anyone I disagree with as... Uh, either stupid or um, evil, right? And mm-hmm. that, I think, is the natural tendency that I still, I, I still fall into the trap of, and it's very hard to resist. Yeah, I've been struggling with it. Yeah, and. I think the better we get at that, the more successful we will achieve our deeper values. If you look at, I don't know if you've seen the documentary. There was one documentary by this Indian woman who goes to these white supremacists. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, when she reaches out to them at the end, the guy's like, oh, you're not that bad. You're a human. (laughs) Yeah. Right, and she notes that some of those people actually um, left organization after after their interactions um and what was really interesting is it didn't seem like she set out to do that no yeah it didn't seem like she was trying to convert anyone Mm -hmm. just trying Um, to understand uh, the other side yeah and i thought that was really really interesting because there's a there's another guy i think his name is daryl something and like basically he's made it his life's work to convince KKK members to yeah. leave the KKK. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about there, yeah. too. And so they both achieve these results, which we would see as positive, mm-hmm. in in very different ways. But both of them, I think, channel a sort of compassion that it's hard for people to, mm-hmm. to feel at an emotive level. Like, um, I know at least one of my friends, um, one of my very, very close friends, didn't very much care for the film with that woman um, because she found it very difficult to find compassion for people who have these really hateful beliefs, beliefs that might target them, right? Mm -hmm. And I I understand that, right? Like, I understand... Like I like emotively, I completely understand your reaction being um, anger or a, a lack of compassion. 
But then, I mean, watching the documentary, there was this one guy who was like sending, like he was, he would go around and put like these horrible, hateful messages in mm-hmm. people's mailboxes. And when you saw the truth of like what his real daily life was, it for me, mm-hmm. not for not for her obviously, but for me, seeing his life, it was really really sad. Like he was this veteran who didn't really, like wasn't very successful. This was not a person who was very powerful. Like ironically, like the people who scream white power the most yeah. are typically not the most powerful individuals. Mm-hmm. These aren't like. For the most part, um, well-off individuals, and I don't know. It just—I guess what I'm trying to say is, there's a certain level of compassion that I think it takes to approach the the possibilities of addressing this problem mm-hmm. in a very in a level-headed way, and it's it's a very difficult thing, at least for me. To, to channel, but I aspire to it, right? Like, I, I see that woman who, like, went to these places as someone, like, that they, like, she knows they would dislike and put her, I mean, her personal safety on the line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And managed to channel that level of compassion. Mm-hmm. And I aspire at least to emotively put myself in the same place because it seems like that has historically been a effective and mostly bloodless way mm. of of changing hearts and minds which is i guess what we're really trying to do right because yeah. if we're trying to protect our country for future generations then the idea is that we need to change the hearts and minds of the people who are here now or mm-hmm. i mean there's an alternative right we could round those people up and we could lock them away or mm-hmm. worse right yeah yeah um i mean discussion your your avenues of action are typically uh debate or violence yeah and my inclination is towards the former but let's talk about the policies i'm sorry yeah, no, 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 that's okay. But real quickly, I do want to, uh, while it's on the tip of my tongue, I, I, this is what, like, recently I've had this, because recovery is so deeply in me now that, like, I, I look at the other side of people that I disagree with on these, you know, what I feel are life-changing topics, and I, and I try and at least discuss. And recently I've had to shut that down because I'm just so strung out on the tension of reality. And I've been now, you know, with Biden's inauguration day, I I was at work like, okay, so these people that I unfollowed or unfriended, I, I want to reach back out to them. And like the, the question that I've been, you know, that's the now today, what I felt like I have like five people that I'm going to reach back out to. I'm going to get on the phone and, and start discussions again. But like during the time, I, the what you say, like the other side is like, you know, you have the options of debate or violence. And the option I chose was silence. Um, one of my friends said, it's okay. It's not okay to burn bridges, but it's okay to shut people, you know, out safely. Uh, and that was something that I felt, I mean, I wrote about it to river in my journal of like, but you know, that's a slippery slope to not hear the other side. And that's what I feel like this social media debate is very at the core of is like, 
you know, we can, we have those three options. And if you don't hear the other side, where are we going to get to? Because my moral issue with what I've been dealing with the last three weeks is I'm adding to this. You know, my apathy towards the other side is just perpetuating the very core of this issue. And I'm, I appreciate you bringing that back up because that was something today. I'm like, okay, I, you know, now that like tensions are lower, um, you know, uh, I feel like I'm ready to start having these discussions again. But for a while, I just, I, I, I mean, I laid up at night, like I'm just, you know, the apathy that I have inside myself of like, oh my God, I can't even with this person is the, is just as harmful as screaming at them. I, I feel. So there's, I'm a, after this discussion, I'm actually going to probably reach back out to just a guy I know via the internet, right? We both belong to this political group. Um, and he has, uh, some beliefs and I would I would characterize his beliefs some of his beliefs as anti-semitic mm-hmm. um, and as someone who's raised Jewish no longer Jewish but someone who's raised Jewish um, it got to me right? and yeah. I and at, you know at some point I probably lashed out on a post um, basically he had changed the the like uh, the picture of the group of one of the groups that we belong to um, to something that was offensive to me. Yeah, and I think it's normal in times of stress to not be at our best selves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's useful to feel bad about that but rather to try to just do better mm-hmm. um i'm probably gonna reach back out to him after this and be like hey man sorry i was kind of abusive because i knew like he knows uh, you know my background how i was raised and he like he knows my position on a lot of stuff um but we also like we we agree on a whole lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we we agree on a whole lot, and it's it's often interesting just hearing him explore ideas, not necessarily related to that topic, but to other topics, like just to get a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. And he's not someone who just shuts me out because I have different beliefs, or because, um, you know, I. I even because, uh, even because I lashed out at him, right? He hasn't mm-hmm. unfollowed me or unfriended me or kicked me out of the group or anything like that. Um, and I think the more the more interaction he has with me, hopefully, I mean, maybe some of those those beliefs will, will loosen up, or maybe I'll be able to, you know, actually make good arguments about why his suspicions about you know, uh, global power structures are are unfounded, or or at least it's unfair to tie those. My, I guess my qualm would be that it's unfair to tie those to religion specifically. Um, I don't know. I, it, it's something that I struggle with, right? Like, mm-hmm. I am a, I'm a hypocrite. I think we're all hypocrites to some extent, but mm-hmm. um, in the words of 
Brandon Sanderson, a, a hypocrite is often just a man in the process of changing and we're always changing. That's good. So, yeah. I think, um, I think, I think it's, it, it's, it's good to have worthy goals and to try to get them in, in ways that are productive. And I think that's something that I'm going to try to focus on. I don't know if you saw it, but actually I, I posted something about hypocrisy and why criticisms yeah. of, of hypocrisy are not productive. And the, the short of it was that, that one of the, the most, the reason I post this is because one of the most common things I see and one of the most outrageous things I see are criticisms from people who disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, who launch these criticisms of, well, look at, look, look at how X, Y, or Z is hypocritical. Mm. But, Isn't that just like another form of whataboutism? Uh, you know? Well, it would be a whataboutism for me to say, look, you're a hypocrite too. Here's how you're a hypocrite. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. So I think it's unproductive because it, one, it puts someone on a, def- it immediately puts them on a defensive position. It immediately puts them on, the position of wait, my ideas aren't inconsistent, or my my fundamental values aren't inconsistent. You don't understand me, and that's like a bad footing to have yeah. a dis- a productive discussion. And I think the 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 most productive discussions I've ever seen when it comes to changing, like especially deeply held beliefs, um, are discussions that are really channeled about curiosity, and I can usually channel it for about two or three questions until my questions become leading yeah. <laughs> and and unfair but i think moving forward i think that's where i'm going to try or try how i'm going to try to have political discussions i'm i'm less going to try and catch people up in gotchas mm-hmm. and more gain an understanding of what their beliefs are why they believe them how this thing is consistent with their beliefs and see if I can provide maybe some evidence they hadn't considered, mm-hmm. which would be useful perhaps, or um, see, ask, I think more important is learning what it would take in someone's own estimation for their beliefs to change. And most people don't ask this of themselves. I know there's plenty of beliefs I have that if you ask me right now, what would it take you to change your belief mm. X, I wouldn't necessarily be able to mount uh, a yeah. A, a standard of evidence that would convince me. But I think the important thing is that it gets me thinking mm-hmm. about that. And it gets me thinking critically about why I believe what I do. But is there anything you wanted to add to that dovetail uh, or go? No, no, no. Discussion? We'll jump to the next one. But thank you for, for, you know, being honest about that. I, I know I just, in general, there's, uh, there's five people that I have to reach out to now that I feel a little bit more recharged of like, Hey, I'm sorry. And let's, you know, continue our discussion, <laughs> the, you know, our, our old discussions. Um, yeah. So that, you know, do you feel, um, and I'm pretty sure it was you that we sort of butted head heads in a good way about government, I mean, is this something that because I'm sure this is going to be a discussion that's going to happen now is like, OK, so how do we regulate this? And me personally, I think that is absolutely terrifying that the government should not at all be um, in this. If they want to put their hands in it, they should make their own 
clone, you know. Um, but I don't think that you know this should be debated on a by clone. You mean like copy of the internet? Yeah. Well, so like if 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 uh, say they, you know, I mean, it's been happening. Like Facebook and Twitter are are going in front of Congress and stuff. So if the government wants to get involved with that, and then make your fucking own. I don't think you should at all be telling a uh, a corporation what to do. Although I don't agree with you, a lot of what these corporations do. I think that is the slipperiest slope that we could go down is having the government get involved uh, in my opinion so how do you feel i don't think about... we disagree about that oh okay <laughs> so i think that's going to be something next like we're going to see uh particular politicians get up and say okay the these social media platforms have too much um weight i guess uh in in the people and uh you know how do we stop disinformation and that and that scares the absolute fuck out of me i mean i heard aoc talking about um you know uh she said it in in uh, and this is a politician i tend to that i actually like um media um education which uh is you know a nice way of of saying things that could get very dangerous and you know um thinking about i think like hmm. the russia disinformation we don't want foreign adversaries in our you know it's the same as having uh so, as if me and you were having a you know the old school you're on a soapbox and a russian spy came up and started sowing disinformation i don't like that but i don't think the government should be trying to mitigate that other than um you know policing the channels that somebody would use to get involved um you know from overseas uh so let me ask you um you said earlier, our parents are the ones that are particularly affected by the misinformation that's online yeah, right now. Absolutely. So if that's the case, can we really maintain that what's needed is education about how to safely navigate the Internet? I mean, isn't this a problem that solves itself over time? Isn't the person most likely to look for sources or fact check the younger person. Yes. Isn't so I feel the uh, I go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I would say with high degree of confidence that navigating um, misinformation is something that as we become more able to do it as as technology progresses, is something that's going to spread itself out uh, as we become more tech and internet literate, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm not I don't share her concern, um, and I agree that it is worrying that people are echoing these sentiments. Um, I believe it was Ilhan Omar who, in response to a lot of the the talk about terrorism and coups um, actually pumped the brakes and said, hold on, after 9-11, yeah. we worried about terrorism. We had all these government actions. Um, let's not repeat that mistake. And this is not my, um, I didn't notice this personally. This was something that I heard on a podcast. But uh, I, think that's, I think that's inspiring to know that there is still some memory of mm -hmm. um, the overreaction that can ha yeah. happen from our government um, when there's a groundswell. One of one of the people I like the most 
said that it's not partisanship, partisan divide that scares her. It's when there is bipartisan support that scares her the most. Because if you look at the kinds of sweeping changes in the law that happen that are the most pernicious, they tend to be when there is a a bipartisan groundswell for something like war or, um, you know, the the, crime bill crime bill or the uh not the freedom of freedom, the, um, the patriot act yeah right these things were passed with bipartisan support and when you hear democrats and republicans talking about how we need to both take on these we need to take on these tech monopolies true they come at it from different angles right one wants to attack section 230 the other one yeah. wants to bust up monopolies but it is concerning it is it is concerning um so i i think i agree with you there as well i do you kind of um made me change my perspective on uh because i remember even like months ago i listened to a podcast about uh the after the most recent sit down with uh uh the zuck um they were they were talking about breaking up facebook because they consume they do have a monopoly where they consume their competitors and i felt like you know i felt very mixed on that um you know i don't want monopolies but they certainly have a monopoly and like if you're swallowing up the guy you know and that's why like now with parlor getting kicked in the dick and then now gab is booming i do you made me see from the other side that maybe this could be a good thing in the long run because it does like there are going to be people that go on gab and they're like oh this ain't me and then through time another company may fill that gap uh that that you know is a little bit more you know that offers a different perspective uh so i appreciate you giving me that perspective because i didn't uh you know i i felt very doom filled on on that uh side so thank you um so social networks are weird because they present an interesting problem and that is competition is usually something that can flourish where if I want to compete with you, the monopolist, let's say you you sell oil, I can drum up a local uh, business and start selling oil, um, maybe undercut you, um, and I can just sell to the customers in my area. But net- social networks have a network requirement, right? There's a certain amount of user um, base that you need in order to actually be competitive. Mm -hmm. And so it actually presents just a curious challenge to see how competitors will arise when you need to get accrue a certain critical mass of people to make the model work. Um, And it might happen because people figure out alternative funding models. I believe Minds is a social network that tries to do this, right? They're they're supposedly, it's it's a social network that's supposed to be based not on ad revenue, but an entirely different um, revenue huh. model. Interesting. Right? Uh, and I, th- it, like I said, it, it's just going to be interesting to see um, what the next Facebook will be. Um, but I mean, people years ago were screaming that MySpace needed to be broken up because, <laughs> um, well, who who could ever compete with the giant monopoly that MySpace had? 
And it, it goes to show that we don't really see the future coming, right? And I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I'm confident that if Facebook behaves in a way that enough people find um, unsavory, a competitor will arise one way or another. Um, and I think that's, I think that's fine. I'm not, I'm not worried about a monopoly per se. A local grocery store has a monopoly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so long as their prices are fair, um, people don't really care that much. And if they start to raise their prices, well, that leaves room for someone to start coming in and undercutting them, right? So the price, I guess you could say, is analogous to practices that Facebook might conduct that people are unhappy with. And if the price gets too high, it's going to leave room for a competitor to swoop in and undermine their natural monopoly. That's, I very much agree with that. Be, uh, you know, that's why I feel like the government should never get involved because right now it's easy to use and stuff, but like uh, a, a small example, um, there is, I can't for the life of me remember the name of the program, but it's a, it's very heavily used by libertarians. This guy figured out how to, if you allow him, Bitcoin. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Um, it's a it's a social media platform where if you allow the app to see the data that these companies take from you, he somehow figured out how to monetize that recording of data, and you can then like like uh, Fitbit. It collects the information and sends it to them. He figured out, and and I'm I. I wish I knew more about it, but I, I looked into it and it was too confusing for me to like use on a daily basis. But he figured out a way to leverage the data they collect against us to make small increments of money. And then you build a community around that. And people talk about Fitbit and shit like that. It was it was very interesting um, concept um, and it's starting to actually take off. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. I apologize. But I do think like, you know, um, that is the next major thing. It's I'm more concerned about the data that the government gets from these companies than, you know, them than anything. Um, hmm. But that's, a you know, a, a larger and deeper discussion. How do you um, the you know, um, I know it's a lofty question to ask near the end of this, but um, how do you feel, uh, you know, do you feel that we're going to get through this? Um, you had said earlier in the discussion, like, uh, you know, time and and uh, you're not that worried. And, and I fall into the trap of just my addictive behaviors of going like, oh, my God, this is doom. And, you know, um, I feel like I have to do something now for my daughter's future. And, uh, you know, I feel drowned in that sometimes. You know, how do you feel about where this is going um you know just this topic in general of uh and and society right now because it's fucking you know um we're all tense i think um the how do i feel about where this is going because <clears throat> i feel like we're on the edge of a revolution and it might not be the 
the good uh, meaning, you know, uh, uh, like I feel that uh, the I'm very anarchist at heart. And if uh, we stormed the Capitol and overthrew the government because they're not feeding its citizens and doing everything that they can, that's a just reason. And I'm okay with that. And maybe I would go down there and, and, and join, but not for this toddler bullshit. Um, and like, I'm just, I, I have this ever looming dread that like the wrong, the wrong reason will change where we're headed. <laughs> hmm. Um, I don't do very good at predictions. What I can tell you <laughs> is that I am nervous for an entirely different slew of reasons. Okay. Um, or maybe I... not entirely different. Oh, sorry. Can I ask, you know, what, what, what the nervousness is? Well, th now that the Democrats have control of all three all, branches of government, yeah. well, Scary. two branches of government, not, they don't have uh, the judiciary. Um, I fear that what people want now is not necessarily perfectly continued march towards what they think is progress mm -hmm. but in some aspects getting revenge right yeah getting, getting back for the last four years yeah. um and that's that's a that's disquieting um i also I also worry that government is going to grow in a way that it hasn't for a long time. Mm. And if you're a left anarchist, if you're a right anarchist, essentially your belief is still similar in that what unites you is political solutions and a centralization of power are bad for the long-term goals you want to achieve. Yep. And that I suppose is responsible for my looming fear. Mm -hmm. um, but I tend to temper that with the knowledge that I am extremely ignorant of mm -hmm. what the future is going to hold. Um, I can't predict all of the ways in which we will persevere despite the growth of the state and the ways in which we will figure out to flourish um, irrespective of the hurdles before us. Because we are the most adaptive species on the planet. Um, and it's served us pretty well so far. And so often what looks like insurmountable hurdles in the long reach of history turn out to be bumps in the road. And so in that, I'm, I, I try to balance one with the other. 
My other concern is that the the impetus for a figure like being Trump, uh, like Trump being elected in the first place, hasn't really been ameliorated by anything that has happened. Mm-hmm. Because the person to receive the second most votes for president in history is Donald Trump in the last election. Um, I am not sure the extent to which the, the, I don't want to say ideology because it, it was kind of a nihilistic, yeah. <laughs> um, body of ideas, but the political fervor which is a, a dangerous authoritarian populism has not been quelled. Yeah, there's still 75 million people that voted that way. Yeah, so we have... Yeah, I know, it's not that Donald Trump isn't the reason, it's just the result. Uh, so how do we... Yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, not I. I wouldn't go so far as to say he's not just the or not the reason. I'd say he's not just the reason, right? So mm-hmm. you could absolutely charge that Trump has made things worse, has has exacerbated things. But I think the the, the symptoms um, he is both a symptom and a cause, right? And mm-hmm. so we've eliminated one cause. Good, okay, but. Um, I think there's a lot of underlying conditions that we have not really addressed. And I'm not seeing a lot of people pulling ahead of the crowd in a way that demonstrates that they know how to do that in a productive way. Um, I, of course, will always welcome talk of unity, but um, yeah. were those words tend to fall flat when they come from the mouths of politicians. I, I don't know if um, our current president, Biden, will be the great uniter that this country desperately needs. I would be very surprised if he yeah. turned out to be yeah, I don't that person, but I'd be very grateful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I don't know if we should be looking to political leaders. I think it might be very foolish to think so, to see um, that I don't know what cultural icons or people we hold up in the in the public sphere are taking up that mantle, um, and I'm hoping to see some in the future. I guess. Yeah, I um, I agree with you. I don't think that uh, I, the what scares me is what you had said earlier. Is okay. He's got the three, uh, you know, legislative. Uh, branches and and we're just going I don't want to sweepingly as Trump did uh, reverse everything even though I you know I want to but I think in the long run if we just hack and revenge um, you know the Tea Party was huge and it sort of petered out and then this came out of it and if uh, you know um, if he can't run again because of whatever happens uh then something there's going to be a, a death and re, reincarnation of something else rather than if we just 
I do think that, you know, what you're talking about, and that's where I, in my life, I feel like, okay, I need to start like talking to people, the ones that I couldn't before, because that is, I feel the only real way we can maybe hopefully avoid, uh, you know, this in another four years, a swing back the other way, because we have this stupid fucking system where every four years we battle it out for who has it, who has the power and they, have in like you know the last couple of times just been extremely reactive to what came before rather than being like okay what can you know where does the future lie in the react in the reaction that i do now it's it, it scares the fuck out of me yeah i i almost hesitate to say that the Tea Party is very like the core Trump supporters. And that's because there was a, a cohesive ideology that was the fundamental basis of the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, a limited government, low taxes model of what the country should look like. The, the kind of populism that Trump took advantage of doesn't really have any core tenets there aren't really any core beliefs that i can say this is definitely you know this is definitely trump policy this is definitely not right yeah yeah. um it's authoritarian authoritarianism is on the rise in all sorts of european countries Mm. Um, and I fear that, um, America, although it touts itself as, uh, you know, a city apart or a city above is not very different in that from my perspective, authoritarianism on the, both the left and right seems to be growing, particularly on the right at the moment. Um, but you hear, (laughs) but you, but, but you hear echoes of it. You hear echoes of it, um, on the, on the other side. And uh, so uh, just circling back to the punishment thing, I see people talking about prosecuting Trump. Now there's part of me thinks, yeah, put him in jail. Like, fuck that guy. Um, there's probably a million things that this guy did that you could put him in jail for and for the countless lives he destroyed, uh, you know, he dropped 75,000 bombs in four years. Did you know yep. that? Uh, I didn't know that large number, but I know that, uh, you know, he said, uh, we didn't start any wars, but they just continued it on. <clears throat> right. So, I mean, I, I'm not foolish enough to think that if we prosecuted him, um, we we would prosecute all other people who have perpetuated our international murders abroad that are supposedly done in my name, mm-hmm. um, in our name. But another part of me worries that that is precisely the kind of thing that is going to lead to fewer peaceful transitions of power in the future. That if we set a precedent now where our personal dislike of someone of a, of a, of a candidate or a politician or a head of state um, pushes us to 
um, treat that figurehead in a, in this really severe way where we're actually mm. imprison them, um, mm. you know, threaten their freedom and livelihood. That doesn't seem like we're taking steam out of the balloon. It just seems like we're adding to it. Right. And we're I trying to that. avoid, we're trying to avoid the pop. Um, <laughs> well said. But that's, I mean, that's, that's, I guess my two cents. Um, I was actually curious that you wanted to bring me on for this topic because I actually didn't see our views as too far apart. I, I, I don't think, I don't see it that way. I think that you, um, you know, we, me and you can have a healthy discussion and we do have, uh, you know, different, um, perspectives in, in how we tackle things and, you know, the idea. And I always appreciate that, you know, um, you offer a perspective that I often don't think of. You're a cooler, calmer minded, uh, person. I'm very reactionary. Um, so no, 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 no. That's the, I promise you that is, um, because <laughs> I've been trying to be, no, no, serious. I, I, I'd like to think that about myself, but uh-huh. in, in, in honesty, um, I, I get just as heated about this shit as, as, as the next guy. It's just when I'm on here, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a conversation where I'm trying to choose my words in a thoughtful way and mm-hmm. be precise in my speech. But I'm not, um, when it comes to politics, um, a Zen master uh, no, by yeah. any means. So that brings me to uh, the last time we did this, uh, I had asked you, like, what can I do in my daily life to just sort of get a little bit moral? And you had told me, uh, you know, watch the throwing a cigarette butt out, which a lot of this plays in with COVID because I haven't been in, but I also quit smoking. And I um, have, uh, I, I'm sure once or twice I threw a cigarette butt out. Um, but I, since that last time, it is a conscious thing I think of when I see garbage on the ground, um, not only at work, but like in the world, um, depending on what it is because of, because of COVID, I'm, I'm not going to pick up a mask, but I pick up garbage and I throw it away. So I feel like, um, you know, I want to sort of um, ask you for what can, you know, both of us do in the coming months of like, what's a small task you feel would help? Uh, because I came into this already with the perspective that I got people I got to call tomorrow and have discussions with because I shut them out and 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 uh, I don't want to per- continue that. What is something that, you know, um, I can task myself with to maybe hopefully make a better tomorrow because at the end of the day, that's what I want to do. Um, and it's got to start within, you know, maybe what's a, what's a, a tactic that you use, um, to quell that emotional reaction. Um, uh, because I'm sure <laughs> we're going to have a lot of battles here. Um, not us, but, uh, the fucking governments are going to have battles mm-hmm. that I'm going to fucking react to. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I let. Um, I mean, I think a good goal would be prior to offering a criticism. First, ask a question from a place of genuine curiosity, not a leading question, not a gotcha question, not yeah, a loaded okay. question. But maybe a question 
in which you actually don't know the answer to or don't think you know the answer to. And maybe that takes a little bit of workshopping, right? Maybe you're trying to think of a question and you think, well, they would probably say this, but then why not that? We'll go to the second question, right? Go a level deeper. That's, okay. that's fine. As long as it's from a place of, uh, of curiosity, I think thinking about your, your interactions with people um, and taking a step back from your first instinct might be a good thing. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's something we should probably both do uh, yeah. in the coming months. Yeah. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I struggle so badly with it. Uh, I, I have to tell myself a lot um, that, you know, um, action doesn't need to be taken right now. Um, you know, thought and pause. Um, so yeah, I, 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 uh, like that. And, and that's a, a good place to end. Uh, you know, that's a thing that I hope to pass on to river and, um, I'm going to practice now, or do you have any, you know, uh, uh, any questions I didn't ask of, uh, you know, uh, things that you wanted to talk about? Um, well, I just want to clarify, did you, did you think we disagreed before we started? Um, uh, yeah. No, I don't, I don't think, um, you know, me and you, you know, uh, have a hard disagreement, but I think that the way on this topic, on these topics specifically, that's, that's what I was confused about. No, I think that, uh, no, I think that, uh, you know, your brain works differently than mine. And, um, I, I, there's all, as you've seen, there's some times where we have good discussions because, you know, you you just have a different perspective than mine, but no, I don't think we uh, disagreed on, you know, largely all the topics you, we disagree about maybe the causes you have a, because of your legal background, you have a very different way of thinking about it where I have no, you know, I just have a, a, you know, a civilian, ah, you know, reaction and you have a, more educated perspective um, that I, you know, I appreciate. Well, I try not to approach things necessarily from a legal lens. Um, maybe I do it by default when I'm not even realizing it, but I, I try to um, come at it from an economist's perspective. Okay. And so that's something um, the, the economist job uh is to see the unseen and what that that slightly poetic sentence is talking about is the consequences that are not typically seen to be the result of a particular action Mm. that's how i tend to try to view um debates about contemporary issues through a long-term lens of what unintended consequences might arise and what unforeseen consequences might arise and complicate the issue. Um, that's, that's where I try to at least, um, and that's exactly why, um, I wanted to have this discussion because my immediate, uh, sort of with these major things is like, how am I going to make this better now for my daughter down the road? And I, that I tend to go like, what is, what am I going to do now? How am I going to do it now? And I don't think, 
I uh, I don't think of that pause moment and be like, yeah, but if I do this now, what's that gonna, you know, is it going to actually achieve <laughs> the uh, end goal that I'm seeking? I I, I very much struggle with that, um, <laughs> with every everything. I I just tend to react and say things and feel based off of the emotion, and it's like that doesn't always that's not always a good perspective, especially no, with no, major but, uh, fucking issues. I, th- I mean, and still, it's one that is absolutely sensible, right? The emotive response is something that, you know, is, is you have to take into account when you're dealing with these topics. Like, there's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely indispensable. In fact, only when we solely focus on our own to the exclusion of others' emotive responses, I think, do we actually make a mistake there? I actually think that's a very good and powerful um, thing, our ability to feel and and react and be have genuine impulses because it allows us to, um, one, situate ourselves, but then also then contemplate the, the plight of others, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, it, 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 it's tricky, man. If, if I had a, a rubric for navigating yeah. life and politics that was perfect, I'd write a book. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly... I don't know. I just think that uh, for me, um, now that... Uh, and again, I preface this with I don't think Biden is the answer. Uh, the, what I think Biden is is... Uh, a level playing uh, a level battlefield because i feel like you know there we st- we have to take to the streets like soon as we're vaccinated we have to take to the streets immediately and 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 demand the change that we you know that we deserve um hmm. should know, we ask we, for it say that again you said we should demand we should demand the changes that we want that's that's one approach but couldn't we wouldn't it be smarter to exercise our efforts where we have the most say and impact already over our daily lives and particularly in our communities like this is something that I, I actually want to get back to I want to get back to volunteering and doing stuff like that one one of the people um, I tend to disagree with the most um, I won't mention him by name he might already know who this is but one of the people I tend to disagree with the most one of the great things I see him doing is um, doing the charitable groundwork um, for the causes that he believes in. Um, and it's absolutely possible to do both. But I actually think, um, and not that you should do one to the exclusion of the other necessarily, but I actually think we are confused or mistaken when we think that that isn't the most important thing that we can do. Um, I think one of the most pernicious beliefs by some of the people I disagree with mm. is that... Um, Charity isn't something we should focus on. Good works in our community isn't something we should focus on because it'll never be enough. 
Let's say that's true. I'll even grant that. I don't believe it's true, but let's say it's true. Maybe it'll never be enough, but it certainly seems plausible. I would even say probable that it is the most change that we can affect in our day-to-day lives. And I think that's a powerful insight that most people overlook. And so since we tend to put this on the government, we demand that they make the changes. We demand that uh, the, the our singular votes or voices, even in a crowd, change the way you know the most powerful elites in the world do their day-to-day business. <sighs> think that can be productive. I think we make a fatal error in our well-being when we put all of our eggs in that basket when we think we don't we shouldn't a have to worry about that because they should be the government should be taking care of this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'm going to I'm not going to worry about this here and now. I'm not going to worry about the people around me here and now, this isn't my responsibility. This is something that should be a part of the collective uh, social contract. And so it doesn't fall upon me. Well, maybe you're not responsible, but maybe you can do the most to help. And I think that's something um, that I also want to uh, change in uh-huh. the in the upcoming. I used to do some charitable work with food kitchens and stuff. Uh, I fell out of that, but um, I, I want to get I want to get back to doing that, and I think um, if you think about a cause um, that you're you're passionate about, um, go ahead and go ahead and do that. And I know that you were doing charitable work as well. You were doing um, yeah, so that's, you were doing three printing during the yeah, um, during so the initial. The one thing that I the lesson I learned from that was the two largest issues that I that that offend me the most that we've been you know uh had a light shown on is the racial injustice and i feel that that's the one where i feel that you know taking to the streets and and the protesting um you know i want to be a part of that when it's safe again because right now it's not i mean we just had you know the new strain is about and then the other thing is children not eating in my state uh unless they go to school so like those two issues i've been donating what i monetarily can because uh during this because i can't do action but soon as i can the immediate thing is i've been looking up you know how can i help these places that feed the kids around here and do you know how to well i i know you're not a teacher by profession um but like part of systemic inequality uh, is differential education. Um, mm-hmm. Have you considered volunteering in a, in a place where there, the the that inequality is most uh, present? I know in South Jersey that might not be as easy. Um, yes. I, I, where... So how I was actually, uh, this is an unfinished formed idea, but it actually kind of not a bad idea to, to talk it out with you was, um, I learned in New Jersey because I, I asked myself like, okay, so, um, you know, my, my wife works for, uh, a catering company and they have leftover food. And my first thought, uh, I've always been told that, you know, uh, it, there's a legal issue donating that food. I looked it up and no, it doesn't in the state of New Jersey. So I had the idea of, 
what I want to, what I want to do is go around to these places. I'd have to probably figure out a legal document for it, but go around to these places. And I used to work at ShopRite and they would just throw the produce out that was like even dinged up. So like go to these places, talk to them, um, be like, Hey, would you be open to it? If I connected you with a local place that needed it and then find, I've found a couple local places of, of, you know, children uh, unfortunately going hungry and i want i want to be the person that uh or i haven't i'm sure there might be even be an organization that does it but i haven't found it yet but uh you know that's why i i'm uh there is nationally but locally like i figured like i can just go to these restaurants that are all about that and at the end of the night get the food to these places so they can hand it out the next morning because it isn't illegally it's not illegal it's actually huge um uh, uh misconception and i was like well i i thought about like i can use my skills in video and just you know footwork of going and just connecting these fucking dots because uh, that's something that our mutual friend ryan has said is you know tackle the issue locally and that's what is like immediately i'm you know again it's an unfinished um uh plan but that is the coming plan of the action that i can do because i'm the type of person i need an action i need it otherwise it built you know the tension builds up and I feel overwhelmed. And then the second thing is, you know, uh, continuing the protest for the racial injustice, uh, because I feel that that is a thing that although there are things I could do locally, I feel like that's a larger issue that does need to be done in policy. And, you know, the the momentum's there. We can push it through. Go ahead. Let me ask you two questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, One. Who's responsible for you? Uh, and only right right um two who well actually don't even need to ask this question i think you probably have a very good idea because of the steps of who you've personally wronged right oh hell yeah yeah right so you 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 have a pretty in-depth knowledge of that i think one of the things that we hold up as a virtue can really complicate our sense of emotional well-being that we are responsible responsible we say in those terms we are responsible for those who have been wronged around us and i think in one sense it's good in that it gets us it gets us to put ourselves in the place of others it gets ourselves uh, to put ourselves in the mindset of others and see these wrongs that have been done to be concerned about them but i think if we're being completely honest about what our responsibilities are um they're they're the ones that we take on ourselves and that we we shouldn't beat ourselves up or feel guilt for the ways in which we are powerless right one of the one of the precepts yeah. i believe is yeah uh, knowing we're powerless that, yeah we're powerless over fill in the blank and uh you know that have the wisdom to accepting it. yeah right having the wisdom to know the difference right the things yeah, we can't yeah. change right so i think an instinct I don't know. I, there's there's a sort of uh, of 
weird overlap between the helplessness we feel about the injustices we see mm. and a kind of like emotive like misfire where we tend to put that on ourselves and make it our responsibility. Um, okay. I, I when, get when we're but like, think about it. Like you're confused. We don't know necessarily the best way to help. Yes. We don't always know the best thing to do. We don't mm-hmm. know um, the most productive way to move forward. We, we make the best judgments we can. Mm-hmm. But heaping guilt upon ourselves for inaction where we know so little, I think is actually unfair. Um, I think it doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't care mm. if you haven't done the best thing already. Because if we knew the best thing, well, we would feel confidence and we would do it, right? Mm-hmm. So, But isn't that um sense of wrong that uh you know in this case i'm carrying isn't that as long as it's not like because obviously extremes of either side are never good but that uh, carrying that um isn't that a helpful motivating yes. you yes. know I, yes. and again the balance of that because you know in aa they say you know beat yourself with a feather not a bat it's okay to push yourself but not you know beat the shit out of yourself and right you know, it's I hard. Think that, with I the, think that's the, right. It's hard with the very big issues to not, you know. I mean, at least for me, not take it, you know, very, very, very uh, personally. But uh, um, I, it's certainly a fine line that I struggle with because, like the the particular, uh, you know, what's going on now with the racial injustices. It's like, uh, okay, what, you know, it's so mind-bendingly um, something that I I'm aware of, but I don't experience, and I forget about it. And then I'm like, oh my god, you see this, and it's like, okay, we have, some, we have to have to you know do something. Right. Yeah, you got to do something. Right. Um, and that's not always right either. Sometimes the best <laughs> option is doing nothing. I don't. I'm not saying that is true for you at this. Oh I'm yeah, the, I understand. But um, yeah. No. Yeah. I I, I get that impulse. Um. You get it, but the, I suppose the problem I have is that we are very good at having an at, at, at having an account of the past that tallies up where wrongs have been done. We're very poor in a scientific manner predicting the best ways to solve those problems. Correct. And so I'm almost always behind the idea that something should be done. Um, But for me on the particular issue, it usually comes down to a degree, how much and to whom with what resources right um but there are certain there are certain there are certain aspects in which i come into complete agreement with i don't want to sidebar this into a whole discussion on racial justice um but yeah it's it's just a really really sticky complicated topic like the the closer a science gets to human values the more untrustworthy are its 
predictions and yeah. and axioms. Um, like I trust a NASA scientist way more about how to mine diamonds on the asteroid belt than I do um, a social scientist or a political scientist about how to solve a given problem. And it's not because the political scientist is a bad person or even unintelligent or uninformed. All of those things can be going for the political scientist. It's just when human values get involved, it's a very very messy subject in which our biases are most likely to lead us to bad results. So then it's then I, I, I guess I was about to say what do we do, but I guess the, the better question um, to take it out of the incredibly philosophically, philosophically complex that answer would be is what do I do because the the you know the I can look at this um, hearing that children in our state uh, don't get meals unless they're in school like just is wrong. So it's like okay, I can do action towards that, and then the you know with the same amount of weight, um, all of these injustices going on. Like, what do I do that is productive? Uh, gotcha. Would be the question. Um, push for well. So you could push for a political change, but just on a much smaller scale, right? It's, it's much easier to um, advocate for a district attorney who's going to... Um, oh, okay. I, I see what you're saying. I'm sort of like biting the whole cake in half rather than looking... The same issue with people not being able to eat, look at it more locally. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know maybe do some canvassing or uh, participate in an election uh, uh, campaign for a district attorney who you think is going to address those issues uh, of okay. justice at a local level, like where I you live. Think about that. That's a very, very uh, doable. And yeah, I didn't even think about that. Great. I'm glad we had that discussion. That's a very reasonable um, uh, action um, to do. Um, well, I gotta eat, but, um, I mean, I'm going to there, I'm sure I'm going to text you like at some point, cause there's a lot that I need to digest, but I really appreciate, um, your time in, uh, having this discussion. It's, um, been enlightening, <laughs> which is exactly what I was hoping for. Yeah, no, I mean, I would say up until about the last half hour, I was on more confident footing, but then when things get <laughs> philosophical i just yeah. I, uh, i'm sure there's going to be a mea culpa at some point so <laughs> that's okay but um thank you um very much and uh i love you um is there any i i you know i'm totally gonna have to like the, i'm not gonna have to i'm going to have to follow up with some of these things but um is there i don't uh is there any final thoughts that you wanted to give on this particular uh, no, no, not really. Um, I was honestly, I was just happy to have a conversation. It was a very, um, I think, thoughtful one. Um, and uh, I'm glad you invited me on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, uh, we'll talk again. <laughs>